we have a, a questions and response time. I don't use the word answers. <laughs> but you'll get some kind of response will have probably occurred. It's just the shocked, stunned silence. Um, so we have a half an hour sitting meditation. You can cook up. <laughs> Or whatever, and uh, please, the main thing about the question time is the time to really use this time for uh, you know talking about your own practice, uh, things we can really directly you know get in touch with, and, and you know, it's kind of more global concepts of Buddha Dharma or why arahants have long ears and things like this. Yeah, but really, just about what's happening for you right now and how. You're being able to vocalize that and see what, how we can respond to that. So let's take a half an hour of uh, silent meditation and then we'll give it a 45 minutes or an hour of question. Okay, here's a, a written question. Someone here's a written question that someone left for me, Michael, and it's about finding balance. A few interests such as history, religion, politics, science, and technology, etc. <laughs> <laughs> there are also daily demands of living, relating, romance, relationships, and family. I'm lost as to how to fit spirituality into this. How do I find balance? And more importantly, how do I know when I have balance? <laughs> it would help me greatly if you kindly, it would help me to share some experiences. Okay. So, um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Juggling plates. How many plates can you keep in the air at the same time? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Guess it varies from person to person, but uh, you know, there are, we do that, don't we? And these all could be areas where we can fill in our own own blanks on the things we like to keep in the air. You know, relationships with other people is important. Their health is important. Things where we can find our mind being creative is important. Things where we can find our mind feeling restful is important. Sense of maybe doing something useful for other people, the planet, 
you know, so that we can leave behind. I've been, my, my life has been of some use to somebody else. I think these are all, all quite valid. And uh, maybe, you know, many of our, these interests can sort of be filtered or bunched up into a few boxes, you know, of uh, um, relationship, really. You know, how do I relate to others? What's in that for me? How do I relate to my own body, my mental, psychological welfare? Mm. Sense of how do I relate to the earth or planet or the people in society? Mm. Also, how do I relate to the sacred or the transcendent? Do I keep that in mind, recognizing whatever I do, however healthy, wealthy, popular I am, I'm going to die and. Uh, you know, is there something beyond that? What's the place where, as Sister Meta was saying the other night, where's the place where I, I end? <laughs> you know, in the here and now, can I go to those places where my sense of self starts to dissolve? That's important to keep that in mind because we can get very kind of occupied with being somebody and all, all that. And without, you know, it's bearing in mind, yeah, but being somebody is still only part of it. You know, there's also being somebody that opening into something where, you know, there's presence and awareness, but, you know, the whole personality, ego thing is kind of at rest. So I think to me the balance is really how you line those up. Don't get too, you know, intensely focused on, on one to the exclusion of the others. Now, you know, I have a feeling that uh, maybe, Sister, you'd like to comment this yourself, but that the, you know, what I'm trying to say about like intentionality is a line of, you know, clarity, reflection, you know, what am I doing? What's the use of this? There are so many things I could do, could be happy, could be interesting, you know, and I boil it down to, to what really is needed or wanted here. And it should be, you know, we've come down to some few core values, like something that, that uh, I feel confident well-being. Something also, I need to be in something that asks something of me. I don't want to just kind of coast, you know. I like to feel that something's actually asking me to get a bit bigger and stretch myself. And it could be, you know, in anything really. It could be, but generally, you know, to me the most, perhaps the most important thing is Fundamentally, is what stretching what could be for the wealth of other people in some way or another. Even if it's just finding out a new piece of gadgetry or a new piece of something or the other that's going to be for other people's welfare. That always seems to be a really helpful thing to bear in mind. You know, as, as a need, I would say. As a need. And you, you, know, you fill in your own blanks on that. You know, what, what do you need to, to stretch yourself with in a useful way? You feel that at the end of the day you can look back on that and think, yeah, you know, that, that, that was good. I'm not wasting my time. It's my welfare. And then, you know, how do I stay in touch with the sacred, the transcendent? So, you know, for myself, every day I reflect on my, my death, which is getting closer by the hour. You know, 
You, know, you never know, do you? <laughs> Could be tomorrow, bam. So okay, so let's not be fooling around, you know. <laughs> you know there's only so much, the candle's burning down. <laughs> it's not going to get more, is it? It's going to get less. So what's worth holding on to? Can I look at my life and think, I'm not going to bother and stay in that grudge, you know. Jeez, I don't want to waste my candle on that one. You know, I'm not going to be kind of claw, you know, aiming for clawing, storing up a lot of stuff because it's going to go. So it's a useful, for me, it's a useful piece of house cleaning, keeping one's house clean. You know, and then, yeah, this, yeah, I can stand with this, I can be with that. Yeah, it's good. Um, so that's the way I kind of personally try to maintain balance with looking in those particular areas, yeah? And then just to make sure we not get too bogged down any one so we miss the big picture. Mm. What, what came for me when, I, when you were reading out the question, the, the question was just one word simplicity and like and also what you just mentioned uh, what is what is really important and today in the interviews that came up a few times like the presence of death in our lives and when you look at all your interests, if you have a lot, and you look in terms of, if I would have just a few more days to live, a few more months, or maybe just a year or two, what is really important? What is important to continue with? What is, what is essential? What is of value? So if you are um, trapped between many interests, really look at, and you don't know what you, what you need to continue with, look in terms of what would it be if I know I'm dying in, say, two years? What would I continue with? In terms of balance, when I, for myself, when I, say, when I see that I'm get, getting very headed, <laughs> big headed, <laughs> that the body underneath kind of disappears, I'm out of contact with that, out of contact with um, the emotional part of life. When I'm numbing, for me that is a sign I'm out of balance. So, and when you are in balance, you know you are in balance because you feel it. There's, there's a fullness of experience, there's a fullness of life present. And you know this is, this is balance in terms of the different activities that you are involved with. But something that monastic life has taught me is really the first word that came, simplicity and the blessings of 
the simplicity of life, that there is space also not to do, not to be involved, and just be. That's my answer to it. I think we are inviting more questions. <laughs> I've been um, stumped all day uh, thinking, how does one, especially a Theravada monk, follow the precepts that you do I still enjoy jazz and <laughs> culture. <laughs> good question. What do you do? I got a good memory. <laughs> because uh, I think to me it wasn't even the music, it's the spirit. Yeah. Uh, I love the spirit of the you know, the sense of improvisation and uh, just trusting in that uh, wonderful quality can occur with a group of people who are, who are making music, you know. They just seem to know to tune in and then somebody breaks off and does a solo and then without any real planning of it. And it's, it's such a lovely, you know, it's kind of empathic connection that can occur within a group of people. It's very beautiful. And, uh, and the sense of uh, the unknownness and just tuning in and then you know, seeing what comes up. So I think it's pretty good, good to be good idea of, uh, pretty good, um, you know, kind of simile for life. <laughs> and, and we don't live, really live on straight lines. I think when we do, we start, something starts to, to die in us. If we get too regulated and too predictable and too boxed in and too... It's just something wrong with that. Something's wrong with it. It's just not organic. There's no room for spirit. You hear the birds. They're blowing jazz all day long. <laughs>
<laughs> so it's about the the four asava, and just to remind people that four asava, also called floods, uh, outflows or floods, these are sensuality. So these, if you like, are, are reflex or undercurrents that we barely notice until until we stop and sit still, and suddenly, wow, it's been a busy day. You know? Uh, so there's the pull towards sight, sounds, touches, and so on. And it's the pull, not not that there are senses, but there's a pull towards them. It's the pulling, that's the flooding. And uh, and then you know, with them, there's also the, the sense in which they are really. You know, the pull has a sense that it will we will find fulfilment if we follow this stream. Will take us to a completion, but uh, it doesn't. It takes us sometimes to overwhelm or exhaustion or nearly enough, but never to that sense of real rest and, and completion. Another flood is um, becoming, which is the time sense, sense of I will be, uh, I've got to be, I don't ever want to be. So it's the thing that views our life very much as an ongoing entity. Difficult to explain this, but the most obvious context is, you know, is ambition. I want to become something, or even dread, I'll never become something. You know? So these are both aspects of the becoming flood. So when we sit still, something just wants to get on, get on with it, get somewhere make something happen, find something, get, build something up or knock something down. You know, that's, that's becoming, that's a time, has a time sense in it and, and we feel very, we feel kind of solid, sometimes incredibly busy becoming, trying to become something. You know, trying to become more peaceful can be a very, very busy, frantic occupation, you know. <laughs> And the flood of views means we start to get quite, you know, ideological, or uh, righteous, or uh, feel we've got it. You know, this is it. I've got it. Only this is right and true. And something just wants that because it make, gives us makes us feel solid. You know, we've got a piece of ground we can stand on and look at the world and assess other people in terms of our our view. You know, political view, religious view, whatever it is. You know. So it gives us a piece of ground to stand on. And uh, there's a strong, can be strong attraction to that because of the, the, the apparent stability it gives us. But it's a very brittle kind of stability and we have to keep fighting off people of different views and persuading people of our own views with that. You know. So you've got to keep it going. You know. And it's always, it's always a partial... Most of them got some truth in them. Otherwise you wouldn't have them at all. But it's only partial truths that become total truths. So there's that push towards that. And uh, you know, whether meditation is the greatest thing. That's a view. It's got some truth in it, but... You know, does it deal with oil slicks? No. <laughs> Not directly, anyway. Uh, uh, and then the, the other one is just the ignorance, which is the very powerful current that keeps us not really noticing 
some basic fundamental truths, a sense of stress, suffering, pressure in our lives. We don't examine it clearly. We blame it <laughs> on ourselves, on others. Yeah. If only I didn't have this, I'd be all right. If I only had one of those, I'd be all right. If it wasn't for you, I'd be all right. If you let, get, let me have this, I'd be all right. Yeah. So, no, you wouldn't be all right. <laughs> Just be <laughs> not saying it's not worthwhile doing, but you wouldn't be all right. So, so I- ignorance is that that flood. So, how do we how do we get out of these? And this is this is a real big. This is the topic actually, because the Buddha would say only you know fully realized beings really get out of this through understanding the pressure of this, the f- pressure of the floods. You know, and when you come to, if you kind of like come down to the topic, which is pretty dazzling and convincing, what you need to be, what other people are, and so come on that to the, the emotion and then, then the energy, and the energy's always got some kind of push, 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 push to it. You know, oh, what are those? A cup of coffee, what, what, you know. So this is great in meditation, you can feel it's kind of like panting on the leash, you know. <laughs> for <laughs> something to get stuck into. <laughs> you know, if I could just find a nice view I could hang on to and start sorting everybody else out according to my views, I can't get one yet. <laughs> so the, the, you feel this pressure, wow, this is really uncomfortable. You know, what's the way out of it? Well trick is you can't get out of it through becoming because that's part of it. <laughs> you can't get out of it through a view because that's part of it. So it's this kind of re- realizing this, the, the quality of the pressure of the of dukkha is pushing. And then what it takes to be able to stand apart from that. You know. There may be various things that can do, do that. You know. So the, what are often uh, lined up are called the ten barami, which are things like patience and virtue and renunciation and loving kindness and truthfulness. They they do help to strengthen the mind. Meditation, you know, the point is to strengthen the mind so that we get the capacity to hold, you know, these torrents that come rushing through us. And just to just to be present and hold hold space with that rather than just run off into them or or fight with it um, and then that that can be the relief from that can indeed be a this touch of joy you know, because in fact one does you know you're not going to do it unless you get some good feeling out of it so the the the, the Buddha would say actually meeting this stuff is that this is truly worthwhile. We use the simile of these. Uh, said, you know, if you, somebody said to you, "I'll deal with you." Part of this deal would be, every morning we'd stab you with a hundred spears. Every afternoon we'd stab you with another hundred spears. Guess what we're going to do in the evening? <laughs> <laughs> so, so stab like this every day for a hundred years. The deal would be, if you stay with that will grant you insight into the Four Noble Truths. Somebody offers that deal, shake their hand. Say, 
<laughs> Buddha used powerful images. He said, because this penetration of the Four Noble Truths will be of supreme joy. Make it all worthwhile. When you look at it, probably today, you've probably been stabbed with quite a few spears. <laughs> you know? So what we're doing is kind of building up this, this resource to, to, to bear with and then what can happen over time is the mind does gain these resources, the strength, the joyfulness, the kindness, all these qualities to slip out of the stream because we've got somewhere better to go. We've got somewhere that starts to feel better for us. It's the, and we, we, you, you can navigate towards it place of letting go, the place of simplicity, the place of non-being, you know. So, it takes a while, you know. but you can get, you get inklings of it every time, you know, you, you come out of one of these deluges and you go, whoa, oh, you know, is it not? suddenly there's that sense of that can, can happen. or uh, sometimes even chetana and even bayama, what, what the differences might be? And, and intention. Mm. Intention. Intention, chetana, chanda, bayama. Well, phrase it, I mean chetana. Chetana. <laughs> it's good news, isn't it? <laughs> what does that mean? It means intention. Uh, I think the thing to fear is using English word like intention. It doesn't mean, ah, I intend to go to, uh, you know, San Diego next week. That's a thought. So often intention can be, I mean to, I plan to, which isn't really what it means. Intention means something like a, it's not a a topic. It's like, I intend to do the dishes tomorrow. No, that's not intention. Intention is a kind of like a little lining up of activity. Like when you stand up, you intend to stand up. You don't even necessarily think about it, but something in you rallies, you know? something in you focuses, something in you crystallizes around a particular line of action. That crystallizing around the line of action is intention. Now the action may be verbal, right? About to speak, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's almost like a firing of the neurons in the nervous system when you, you know. And so that, um, now we can set this up with, with a thought, it's not to think is irrelevant, but when you say like, oh, I intend to get up tomorrow morning about five, yeah. No, 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 you don't, that isn't good enough. <laughs> You're gonna say, I intend to get up at five, and then you feel this kind of probably. No, no, no. I intend to get up at five. Maybe. No, no. I intend to get up at five. I intend to get up at five. Now it's there. 
because there isn't that kind of, well, you know, we'll see how it goes. You know. So it's a different, because you actually have then lined it up. It has touched, it has, it has ignited somewhere. And you'll find you get up at five. You know. um, but it, it's not, so it's not a thought, but it, it can be triggered by a thought. But it's like a real kind of alignment of the heart. So that's the chetana is a, is a heart resolve, you might say. In some ways it can be very modest, like just getting up or standing up. Sometimes it can be like a vow, like I'm really intending now, I'm going to keep the five precepts. No messing, you know. And you, and you, and you really make that clear to yourself, not just as I'll try, but maybe, and well, you know. Because <laughs> if you don't make that clear intention, if you keep lowering the bar, you know, if you raise, if you keep the bar, you may not make it, but you've got to at least keep the keep the aim there, you know. So you've got a lot. You know, you, of course, you might fail, but you make that that intention, morality, for example. And then if you get it wrong, hey, I got it wrong. Then what happened there? Something captured my intention. I got caught by greed or fear or laziness or something. Then you, that's where you learn. But you don't learn if you haven't got a clear marker to measure yourself against. Yeah. Ajahn mentioned about reflecting on death every day. Um, I'm interested to to uh, to know how 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 would as reflection? Well, for myself, there's several ways of looking at it. I, I you know, get experience of, uh, for start, right now, this body can maintain an upright position. That isn't always going to be the case. Right now, in an upright position, my mind can be quite clear. That won't always be the case. Right now, I'm not needing support to keep pain out of my body. That won't always be the case. Uh, yeah. So those things. And then also with the sense of the death. You know, is the also the ending of all that I know. The ending of the known. The ending of the known. The ending of having a future. The ending of keeping things together, the ending of the known. So when we look at that, that's very important. If you look at that, well, how much do we think we know? This incredible tissue of our perceptions and memories, and it's just going to blow away. <laughs> you know, I remember some a friend of mine when she was dying. She'd had leukemia for many, many years. So she was prepared because she'd had 30 years of practice with it. Just kind of witnessing and, and talking about the process. And she came to a point and said, the time for thinking has come to an end. That was the last thing she said. After that, the mind couldn't create thought, couldn't articulate. How much of our apparent reality is held together 
through mental functions that we take for granted. Memories, perceptions, thoughts. And when that goes, yeah, that's why we practice it now. <laughs> you know, because to, to the fear and the uh, who am I, the loss of self. And some, someone who can stay intact within that is someone who attains the deathless. Okay, gentleman over there. Uh, yes, uh, could you uh, speak to uh, the wise way to handle grief over uh, loss? Mm -hmm. If there is such a thing. Yeah, yeah. to speak loud, I hear. <laughs> um, I mean, one thing to say, it's, it's, it amazes me how much this is part of this retreat. It, I mean, as I said before, it has come up a few times in the interviews I had today. And before the retreat started, one a half-sister and one of the attendants just committed suicide. And today another retreatant received the message that his mother-in-law died. Like what it does to me, it just makes it so apparent how much death is present in our lives. And I think there's hardly anybody here in the room who hasn't experienced the loss of somebody close. For me, the strongest experience was when my mother died quite a while ago, quite some years ago. And what the experience was like was in the beginning, it was something that I felt I, I can't, couldn't quite grasp it. I couldn't quite believe this was, this was part of my reality now. And altogether, I think it took me two or three years until I really understood that she had left my life. And as probably for most people, the first three or maybe even six months were most difficult. And there was a lot of grief there, also partly because her death was unexpected. And it just happened out of the blue. So 
What reminded it me also of is that when relationships break up, in a way, death is an ending of a relationship, of a togetherness with somebody that you feel close to. I mean, if it's somebody who is, who is close to your heart, like a family member or like a good friend. And as my experience is like as closer somebody is to your heart, as more grief is there, naturally. And even so, like the Buddha's teaching goes into the direction don't have attachments, because with attachments in the time of death you feel grief, you feel pain and suffering, so don't attach. <laughs> but for most of us this is not the straight way out, because um, detachment happens with deeper realizations. But it doesn't mean that those ones who are close to our heart that we don't feel sadness when they leave our lives. And what, like, and I would apply that almost to many other things, but also to grief, is when you are losing somebody who is close to you by this person dying, Turn your attention really to the fact of that. Turn your attention towards what you experience with that. What is happening in your heart? What is, how it, does it feel to let somebody go? To let somebody leave your reality? And usually in the beginning that is painful and acknowledging the pain, and acknowledging the loss. And acknowledging in the way that says, how could it be otherwise? I, I don't at all recommend to go into, okay, arising and passing, or anything like that. And yet, when you come to the point of cessation with that feeling, then yeah, then the passing is happening. But you can't create that mentally. You can't create not being attached to somebody who you feel attached to. This like detachment is uh, letting go. And that happens when we have deeply understood the change that has taken place in our lives. And it means that you have gone through, that you have understood by your personal experience what it means to let somebody go, to let somebody move on out of your life into another life or into a relationship with somebody else. So, like my experience with grief was that part of it was a lot of tears, 
And I think it's naturally like that. That if I would have not acknowledged the sadness, the grieving, it probably would have stored up somewhere else in the body, in the emotional body, and would have come out at another time. It's still, I mean, I can still say, still after 17 years, <laughs> I still dream that my mother is alive. <laughs> so it's not yet completely done, unconsciously not completely integrated. And I think if, we, if you experience a loss, like often you hear comments from your friend, okay, it's half a year ago now, get over it. I think it's rubbish. <laughs> I think it's utterly rubbish. I think it's important to take the time you need to integrate the reality of that. And just, I like another example of grieving, when I separated from my husband, the first one and a half years were very intense grieving. And then I felt, okay, I'm over it, and like I entered monastic life, and boom, <laughs> there it was in my retreat times. Like everything that was not processed, that was not acknowledged, came up <clears throat> naturally. How could it not? Does that make sense? Yes. That is my answer to your question. Thank you. The only thing I, I would add, thank you, sister, is uh, just something that's really helpful as a practical thing to sort of like make dedications for people who have passed away that we're doing now, you know. But even have a place on you, if you have a shrine or an altar, a place where you say, this is for you. Or you plant a tree. Or you say, you know, I'll go and do this for somebody else. Every time I do a good deed, this is for you, mother, father, friend, this is for you. So in a way, you maintain that sense of connection in terms of kindness and respect. Because in some way, everyone we've been with has left themselves inside us. You know? Everyone we've been with, some of them is, is inside us. You can't, bodies come and go, but you can't, you can't cut off history and you can't cut off karma. You do so at your peril. So that sense of the honoring, I think, is an important way to just say, you, you, you know, it's not trying to hold on, but it's a recognition that, yeah, I can still see that person's face. Yeah, I can still hear their voice. Yeah, I still remember what it felt like. Oh then this is for you. Yeah. And it just keeps it sort of uh, sacred in a way, beautiful. And it does help in the, in the, in the, the healing process. Because yeah. the, the, I think the big thing is when you get some wrench, you know, the wrenching away, and it's very shocking, you know, it's traumatizing, the wrench. So how we can kind of moderate that with a, a gracious leave-taking, which is 
has this sense of uh, you know beauty to it. I think that to me that helps. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the experience I'm having today is rather than soaking into or penetrating emotional experience or uh, experiences going on outside, sounds, um, thoughts, whatever it is that's going on, rather than penetrating them or soaking into them, it seems like they're penetrating me or soaking into me. And uh, when I've had experiences like this in the past, um, a new experience, um, of course, I think it's going to last forever. Um, and it's always going to seem this new and this amazing. Um, the other thing um, that happens, though, is eventually um, it becomes something I'm trying to do or something that's happening to me because of where I am or who I am. And so far this experience is just very organic and it's just occurring. And uh, I don't feel like I'm fighting that other thing. Um, there's a lot of breath around it. So I guess my question is, how best to let this continue to happen. I want to say how to work with this, but I think that's, you know, that's what I've done in the past, is work it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my question. The happening is, you're feeling things are entering you, is that what you're saying? Rather than meditating on something, something is meditating on me. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm rather than, um, okay, so if there's a tightness in my chest, something emotional, rather than sitting with it and uh. going into it uh, with my awareness, it, it's just occurring, it's, it's doing that on me. Mm -hmm. And the results are, <laughs> where does it take you? Real simple, very simple, um, and quiet, uh -huh. crisp maybe is the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it, I mean, the way we experience things is really interesting, you know. We have these sense organs and a nervous system that sort of makes it a reality out of this amazing cascade of... <laughs> of data, yeah. uh, and and so as you, as you meditate, or you kind of like you shift your balances, you shift your internal gearing, and then you know it can be experienced in a different way. And the main thing is, that my my opinion is, that as long as you have a sense of, of of balance with that, you feel grounded, you feel clear, the space, you're not oh, you know, you're not overwhelmed, you're not caught up. The, you trust the process, and maybe you just kind of start to study what are the what are the causes and conditions that help to support that 
where does it get lost, you know, and uh, trust the process. Mm. That'd be my sense of it. Mm. You're softening the edges. <laughs> Definitely. Um, keep that in mind. And I mean, I don't have much to say then. Achinsuchita, I think he points it out very clearly. But notice those moments when, when it shifts, when the experience changes, and when the me, the I, the, the, the controlling sense of self comes in. Notice what, where and when does that happen. And just keep that in mind. It's just like usually when we identify with a situation, we are actually you moving out of the wholeness of the, the reality of that, of the interconnection. And just notice when that happens and how that feels. Usually it's actually even just very lightly painful. There's something very not harmonious about. And just work with that. Um, this is regarding um, your instruction um, about w- working with the breath. And one suggestion you had was to, um, at the end of the out-breath, to, to pause, to lengthen, and start a cycle. So I have noticed in past retreats that it's usually then that interesting things, interesting things start to happen in the subtle breath. It's not at the end of the in-breath. It's always at the end of out-breath. So um, I wanted to ask, why is that? Why is it at the end of out-breath that the pause, when the subtle breath takes on, and in, why is it? Why is that? <laughs> why? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, I, I, yeah, it's a good, good question. I never thought of that, really. Mm. I suppose with the, you know, when you get to the end of the out-breath, it's what ha- what's happening is that there's a, the, there's a sense of, there's a kind of relaxing and releasing. Uh, with the top of the in-breath, there's a certain sense of you're, you're filling and it was like slight, you might say, a slight tension even, you know, holding. It's more, in some ways, it's more pregnant at the end of the out-breath. And the end of the out-breath is like, you know, you can... So what it seems to do is it, it almost like gives the, the nervous system, goes into a sense of discharge. You know, so whatever we're carrying or motivated by whatever our inner wheels are rolling on, you know, that kind of certain sense of nervous energy 
that's being taken into discharge. You know. When it discharges, then, if you like, the, the surface energy discharges, and the subtle energy then has a chance to make itself felt. The energy that's not associated with with doing or thinking or planning or controlling, just the energy, subtle energy of being, makes itself felt because the other stuff has has kind of released for that for that moment. Well, I think it's a useful place to explore. Mm. Yeah. Just, just one thing. It's like what what came for me immediately when you were asking the question is that that letting go effect. Like when we let go, there is suddenly space, you know. And in the space, things can arise, can come up that maybe didn't have space before. And when you are more aware about that, you are more aware about those arisings. That would be my short answer to that. <laughs> I think you make it very clear. Maybe we just take this, perhaps the last question, unless someone is really on fire. <laughs> okay, make this the last one then, shall we? <laughs> I just have a, two things. Um, it's, it, it's just so amazing. This would never have happened to me if I hadn't been selected in the lottery and it's it's huge for me and my other question is and I I'm not even sure of the pronunciation pronunciation of your name but Ayan Suchito Ajan yeah Ajan could mm. you tell us a little bit about yourself you said you'd been teaching for 29 years but just a little bit of your path and of the three monks with you and are you in related in a little bit about them <laughs> as well. I mean, I know you are, but I would love just a little history. And it's been so amazing to watch them. And I, I and just I know that's you could be here for hours, but just a little bit about your path and how you got on it. And <laughs> Do you, does everyone want to hear this? <laughs> Very briefly, well, uh, it would be a rather censored version. <laughs> but there I was. <laughs> so I, I think, it, you know, for me, where does it begin, really? Where does anything begin? You know? Sense in which the world didn't seem to make sense to me. <laughs> From an early age, I couldn't. I think the first time I recognized death, that, that my parents would die, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was about seven years old, I just couldn't understand how, how that these kind of immovable mountains could disappear. Gee, you know. And then I, somebody told me, I was, you know, I figured it, maybe that means I'm going to die too. That wasn't so much a problem. But then my parents dying, I just couldn't, you know, it's like the world ceases. So because of that, I thought, well, I remember, I'd better not have any children because otherwise they'll be just as shattered as I'm going to be <laughs> when I die. <laughs> so I was about seven then. I figured that one out. <laughs> 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 
wasn't necessarily the right answer. It was an answer that meant something for me. So then, you know, you go to school and stuff. And I could never really get interested in anything. I got interested, you know, studying was fun. But actually, what do you want to do with your life? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So after graduating, then, you know, still had this big don't know. So I'd better get out and see the world and uh, see if any anything clicked. So I travelled around and uh, got more and more bored, more and more quickly, with going to amazing places. And you get amazing place, you'd be interested for a day and then get bored. It got so that I was bored almost as soon as I got there. <laughs> so something going wrong with this particular trajectory of finding wonderful places because it's just getting more and more superficial, you know. So then because of that, I really want to try and actually go deeper rather than further, let's go deeper. And I was fortunate enough in that I came across a meditation class being taught in English in Thailand. I was up in the Chiang Mai, northern Thailand, I happened across a meditation class being given in English. So this, you know, I went to this little Vihara, Vihara monastery and there was a monk, English monk teaching. And the only thing, a couple of things struck me about that. When he was sitting by an open window with an oil lamp and his flying ants were coming in through the window, attracted by the light, just crawling all over him. And he was sitting there with his ants crawling all over him, like, just quiet. <laughs> giving his talk, every now and then taking one out of his mouth and putting it on. <laughs> so I just kind of, wow. <laughs> wow, this is Buddhism, wow. <laughs> I mean, this is cool. And then, then, then the instruction, is to sit there and watch your, watch your breath, focus, bring your mind to attention on the point in your abdomen as you're breathing in and out, focus there, and then just every time your mind wanders off, note it and then go back to that point. Well, I, got, I, didn't, I don't think I've got one inhalation. It's just like suddenly just dropping down a mind shaft into mania, you know. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> But then I noticed, here am I, I'm watching, watching myself go crazy. I'm watching my mind go crazy. I am watching my mind go crazy. So, which one is me? <laughs> my crazy mind, or the one who's watching it? I don't know, well, that's interesting. So I thought I'd better go in, get into this a bit more. So I, 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 I haven't got the kind of restraint or self-discipline to do this on my own. I'd better go to a monastery where they'll shut me up, you know, chain me down. <laughs> I was only 25, so I just go, you know, I know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm just going to go out and blow it. So I go somewhere where they'll lock me up, do a week or so, and uh, then, you know, figure it, get the idea, you know, get it clear. So, of course, after a week or so, falling down the mine shaft again and again. Well, maybe it takes a little longer. So, anyway, to cut a long story short, I ended up staying. I thought, well, three months ought to do it. Three months. Yeah, I'll be getting lightened by then. 
and then I'll know what to do. So that after this three month period, I'll know what to do. I'll have it clear. Three months go by, and then, yeah. You know, the words started to slide off my brain. Because it was very intense. I just stuck in this hut for months on end, nobody to talk to. The teacher would come round and say, Watch the breath, and go away again. <laughs> <laughs> so after three months I didn't get enlightened but I still didn't know what to do because the only, only, only well, I had plenty of ideas of getting out of this place but all of them were just total rank fantasy I could see that this completely complete fantasy riddled with greed, hatred or delusion generally mixtures of all of them so I thought well I can't follow that because that's you know, this idea of you know being a hermit, living, growing carrots, and living goat milk and things. Oh my God! So I stay here until it gets clear. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> One day, the curtains are going to open. It's going to get clear. <laughs> but after a few years of that, then I had to come to England because my father passed away. And that was quite a turnaround because, um, you know, being being in Britain, there was only very few monks, and I met Ajahn Sumito, and we stayed with him. And then I started to really see if people coming to to listen to teachings, to offer dana, to offer food, to support the monks, and then really coming with their sort of problems and aspirations and and then seeing how they, they'd kind of feel, get benefit from it, from this process, you know. I thought, well, maybe, well, it's a good thing to do. This is a good thing to do. Um, there's many other good things to do. This is a good thing to do. I seem to be doing it already, so maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> So it became like that. Because uh, I thought, well, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of monks in Thailand. There's only six of us here. Well, actually less, about three. So maybe I should stay and help out. So I did. And so it's gone in various forms. That's been the basic thing. Just, just stay and help out and, and keep meditating. So my, so not my CV synopsis. <laughs> uh, tell me a story. Oh, that was. claim some indemnity <laughs> so he wants to let off <laughs> I won't go in such a long detailed story I just can say I have been 
living family life before coming entering the Sangha and I have been actually married twice and I have a grown-up son and in the end of the second marriage I came to a point where I felt this is enough <laughs> enough messing around <laughs> no I mean I'm exaggerating but I really felt like I have put enough energy into uh, one-to-one relationships and I was already practicing meditation at that time and I felt and I mean I shared that actually today with some with one of the groups I did come to the point where I knew I had to go I had to go traveling for a year and I didn't know why but I knew I had to do that and it was important to do that so I was setting up to go to Thailand and then to travel further to Australia overland mainly and I never did I stayed in Thailand I after about two and a half weeks I came to Watson Mark for a, me- <laughs> a bit similar to you Achan, <laughs> just to do one meditation retreat and I stayed for another one and for another one and for another one and altogether I stayed about eight months at Watson Mark where Achan Buddhadasa, a very famous Thai teacher, was teaching, he was alive and so he was my first direct Dhamma teacher and it blew my mind <laughs> absolutely when when I left the monastery actually much earlier I just knew I had to ordain I didn't know why and I didn't really want to but I knew I had to do it so I, I said okay uh, wait 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 not so quick <laughs> I go back to I go back to Europe I was living in Belgium at that time and I sort out my stuff and then I see how I'm feeling if I really want to do this and by being back in Europe I came in contact with um, I got to know that there was a nuns community at Amaravati and also at Chithurst and I went there to check it out for a month <laughs> just to see if it's something that I could envision to do and I was very inspired at the end of the month and then I returned three months like I had to still quit my work and my flat and everything that was set up and then I came to the monastery which is now more than 17 years ago and I and also like I did it okay I do it for a year and then see how that goes and so it added up and after some years you don't count it anymore <laughs> you don't even think about like how long you stay or not it's just you're just there and I mean to me it feels right and I have seen many people coming in and leaving so it's something that is definitely not alive many people really can live for a long period of time why that is I think many reasons don't want to go into that does that say enough Hmm. so let's um, conclude the, the evening and uh, just to reflect on this 
sharing of merit or sharing of blessings and aspiration. Sharing of aspiration. Closing homage on page 14.